Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The man team. Mega Bears fan. Hello, Internet, and welcome to another episode of Polycast. This is episode number 371, and I am one of your regular hosts, Mega Bears fan, joined by Canis Albinus. Uh, how could I get sick? Oh, no, please don't be sick. Along with. It's not COVID, thank goodness. Oh, well, that's a relief. Uh, along with Makalua. And this is why I got my flu shot this week, even though it knocked me on my bum for a day. Oh, I still have to do that. Been meaning to do it for like a month now. And the me and team. Putting the die in diety. Because that's how you say it. <laughs> I've never gotten a flu shot before, so I don't know how I'm going to react to it. And I think uh, if there's ever going to be a year to get one, this is going to be the year. You know, I heard uh, that my sister was uh, sick for a little while from that. And I was down for like a day. Like, not badly. I was just kind of feeling crappy the next day. And then I was fine after mm-hmm. that. But yeah, it seems like everybody has at least a mild reaction to it this year, but I mean, it's whatever. That happens sometimes. I'll be sure to do it during the week so that I get a day off of work if I get sick <laughs> instead, of lo- instead of losing a Saturday <laughs> or Sunday. <laughs> well, try not to uh, try not to be just if it's still good enough that you have to go in because, you know, you only feel a little bad. Well, we're, uh, <laughs> the office that I'm at is still doing um, social distancing, so I, all I have to do is be like, I don't feel well, and they'll be like, okay, please stay away. Yeah, okay. So I'm lucky in that regard. Just in case. <laughs> I thought everybody was still doing social distancing, and if they're not, they should. Well, we're not, because we're still mostly remote. The only time we do social distancing is when we bring students on, but uh, that's only been for exams so far. Yeah, so very, we're... Very rarely. We're at like a, a semi-voluntary return to the office thing where our boss expects us to be in the office like eight hours a week and it's like staggered so there's fewer people in the office at any given time. Uh, no more than like four people at a time and we rearranged our desks so we're all six feet apart or more and uh, he's got a little thermometer thing for t- uh, taking our temperatures as soon as we walk in the door. So I, I think he's doing a pretty good job in that regard. Yeah, might as well take the precautions. Well, it's uh, the middle of the month yet again, which means there's another patch coming out in the upcoming week. This is the October patch, and uh, we get a pirate scenario. So we're playing. So, so it's Sid Meier's Pirates Inception. Yeah, apparently the the mod involves things like not having a city. Ooh. So maybe they're experimenting with things like um, nomadic cities. Well, remember they they did that a little bit also with the the Beyond Earth expansion when they had those those floating aquatic cities that could move around the map. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, they. 
go ahead. It was definitely a weird thing, though, because the the city borders just stayed where they were. So you'd have these long, like, trails of city control. Yeah, and you could literally box players in. <laughs> you could just leave, like, a strip of city control. Oh, look, you can't go anywhere now. Yeah, it was, it was funny. <laughs> but yeah, they, they keep playing around with the idea of a cityless faction, but then they... they just for the last two games have yet to actually go there in the actual, you know, Civ game. Even I've been asking for it for years. I, I'd like to see, like, a genuinely nomadic civilization enter the game. Uh, but, yeah, I, I could imagine it's going to be a substantial challenge to figure out how to make that work in the context of Civ. Especially with Civ Six, where you've got all the infrastructure that's built on the map. Like... Having a nomadic civilization just completely eliminates the districts, which was the big new feature of this game. And production, and yeah, and tile yields. It's it, it would be it would be hard to figure out how to deal. Like you'd have to introduce a system that an entirely separate parallel system that would be a lot of work. Yeah, well, Total War Attila did it, and I thought that was a pretty good game. I didn't play it a lot, but I liked what I did play. That was an expansion pack, wasn't it? No, it was a standalone game. It came yeah. off the heels of Rome 2, so it could have been... It was It was basically a standalone expansion, as far as I'm concerned. Those are my favorite kind of expansion. Yeah, and it wasn't nearly as hard as uh, the Napoleon one for Empire, so uh, I actually <laughs> played a lot more of Attila than I did of Napoleon. I heard Attila on the higher difficulties was one of the hardest of any of the Total War games. I actually have it, but I haven't had the chance to play it yet. Or I should say I haven't uh, felt like playing it yet. Um, but yeah, the, especially if you like Western Rome on Legendary or whatever, it's supposed to be one of the harder campaigns you can play in well, any of the Total War games. Well, my big hang-up with the Napoleon one was there was a hard time limit on the uh, campaign. You had so many turns to complete objectives, and if you didn't do it, then you just lost. And it was a re- oh, okay. it was a fairly restrictive time limit. Like I kept having to like hunker down in like Egypt or whatever to uh, uh, fortify and heal my armies, and like that cost me the game because I ran out of turns. I see. Well, you I mean you do have Attila in the Attila the Hun in Little War Attila, and it is very difficult to get rid of him. But yeah, Civ, so there's that. Civ keeps doing these proof-of-concept kind of things for a potentially nomadic or cityless civilization, but yeah, they, they don't actually put a civilization in the game that does that. I think the closest they've come so far was probably Venice in Civ Five, where you have one city. <laughs> you get more than one city, lol. Well, <laughs> right, but the way you get them is different than... Well, maybe not for Phil. For Phil, hey, it's probably like the honor same. Conquer cities. <laughs> <laughs> for Phil, it's exactly the same. No, I got more money than usual. It was great. I mean, what do you, what do you mean? You always start with liberty with Venice, right? I think I uh, it was honor every game. I, I think people going liberty with Venice was more common than people going honor with Venice. To be fair, although it was probably neither popular popular choices. Most people didn't start with honor, though. Uh, yeah. Honor is the hardest reasons. start, but it's the best. I don't know. Well, it depends on what you are putting into your rating for the best. Honor. Uh, I thought the honor strongest was strongest opener on high difficulty or multiplayer. No, but it is the best for other reasons. Honor wasn't say. a bad way to start with uh, Germany because they had those bonuses towards hunting barbarians. 
But yeah, because depending on the map, you could have a big barbarian problem. Yeah. Anyway, also we're, included we're we... in. Hmm. I was just saying. Anyway, weren't we supposed to be talking about Civ Six and not Civ Five? <laughs> yes. That's true. Other things included in the October patch include scaling features with game speed for things that previously did not scale. The example given, the thing that they mentioned was favor cost and diplomatic favor. I think that was the only Um, example they gave in in that particular video, right? And so I'm wondering what else they might be including in this. Because there are a lot of things that I would like to see scaled differently uh, with regard to um, game speed. And I wonder if any of those are going to get changed as well. Well, we'll find out because it comes out on the 22nd, which is the same day the Pokemon expansion pack comes out, which means I have a choice to make. But the other things that are included, recruit partisans mission now pillages neighborhoods and only spawns anti-cav units in civilization in Firaxis's tacit admission that anti-cav units are awful. Uh, we, we finally found out how much of a pain that is uh, recently because for a long time the... Uh, AIs would never build neighborhoods and I don't think they would ever use that mission against the player and they finally fixed that in uh, what, like sometime last year I, th- I think it was with the release of Gathering Storm yeah and they repeatedly and almost exclusively use that all the time which makes really annoying because if you're really high tech but don't have a big military which is the way I play sometimes it's like, oh, you have all your units on the other side of your empire, and now there's three modern armors that came out of that. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, great. Now what? Or if you didn't bother to build walls in your uh, like inner core cities, and you only built them on your frontier cities, then suddenly a bunch of modern armors pop up in the middle of your empire. It's like, well, I can't do anything about this at all. Well, you'd have the auto walls by then, I, I would assume. I would Apparently, have. Oh, yeah, that's, that that's true. That. You would. I sorry. I guess I was thinking more about not building encampments. I don't know. It's kind of a busted mission by design. I don't know that it can be saved. Well, pillaging we'll the district now, I think, might make a difference because now you're talking about decreasing housing. Which, I mean, I guess at that point in the game, doesn't slowing down city growth doesn't do much unless it actually causes some starvation. But I don't think it does that. I, I don't mean, think housing does that. No. The the cost to stop it with military is disproportionate to spies, but you can't reliably stop spies everywhere. So that just means that neighborhoods are still going to be junk. They're going to be less junk, uh, but yeah. Previously, the the my recommendation for uh, dealing with that particular mission would be to just have a, a helicopter army like camped in the middle of your city somewhere, just waiting for them to uh, spawn tanks. But now that they're spawning anti-cav units, you might have to leave a modern armor, you know, or tank division there, uh, or tank army instead. Or just infantry, I guess, because they're well, pretty good. Well, actually, no, anti-cav. dude, anti-cav uh, don't counter helicopters. So, yeah, a helicopter would still be good. They don't? I thought they... helicopters were part of the light cavalry line. Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm conf- again, I'm confusing them with Civ Five, where helicopters were, I think, part of the anti-cavalry line. In right. Civ Five, helicopter units were called helicopter units. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm getting confused on which unit is which. There was exactly one helicopter unit, and it was the helicopter. <laughs> I think that was true in some of the previous games as well. It was its own category rather than... I don't remember the details of all the previous Civs to that extent, but 
I have the feeling that Civ 6 is actually the odd one out and making it a proper uh, part of other unit classes rather than just giving it its own. Civ 5 did as well. Oh, did it? Okay. So that, that's been around for some time, at least. We also got some AI improvements. The AI is no longer as as enamored with Diplo Favor, which is like the fourth time they've fixed that. The AI will be more aggressive about going for the Oracle and the Pyramids. They will not be building holy si- holy sites if they are less religious-focused. And they will promptly repair their dis- district, their city defenses if they are bombarded. Also, Grand Columbia is getting a nerf. <laughs> Which people have been like, yeah, you could do that. It, it, well, that's a, it's going to say Byzantium, but that's a different topic. Yes. And other than that, there aren't a whole lot of specifics. Yeah, I think I will actually play this uh, this Pirates minigame, though. This uh, sounds like it could be interesting. Yeah, it's got a multiplayer version, so that's good. Yeah, I played around a little bit with the um, the tech and civic shuffle uh, mode, which is the first of the new uh, DLC scenarios that I actually have, you know, played. I think it's the first new DLC scenario. I think first DLC scenario that they've released. Yeah, it's the first one that's like not a regular game option and is instead like yeah. a standalone mini game kind of thing. But yeah, be- as I said before, because I have that interest in the addition of nomadic or cityless civilizations, I am curious to see how the uh, the pirates uh mini game played. I remember there was a barbarian scenario in Civ 5 where you like accumulated gold or faith or something from defeating other units and cities and you used that to build new units so i'm wondering if this will be similar where you you know uh get gold or booty or whatever the heck they want to call it from uh attacking other ships or whatever and then just spend that on new ships i think that was sip four maybe i could be wrong it was in the warlords expansion yeah, yeah, it wasn't part of the base game. They they also re- like released something concurrent to Civ Four, I think. Well, there was that... colonization. Oh, that's right. That's right. That wasn't Which necessarily about pirates. <laughs> uh, it's not about pirates, but pirates do uh, play a major part in things. There is a couple of pictures. One showed a, a pirate barb camp and some new tile improvement. And then it showed the th- four factions you can play as well. I th- they think they, they came to the conclusion that that tile improvement was just the 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 Omec oh Omec head thing from the one city state. Ah, uh, okay. But yeah, we get a dread fi- a dread pirate faction. So somebody has been doing their appropriate reading and watching. <laughs> <laughs> but do we have blink pirates? That's the best. Anytime you have something, you, you need a Blink variant. What is a Blink pirate? It's like Blink yaks or uh, Blink frogs or whatever. You need Blink Uh-oh. pirates, too. Teleporting oh, dear. pirates. Well, maybe at a higher tech level. <laughs> that would be legit obnoxious and safe. Especially if it wasn't a random Blink. I'm just imagining, I'm just remembering the the gateway satellites in Beyond Earth, teleport your entire army across the u- map one unit at a time. <laughs> I forget, could you do that into hostile territory or just your own? 
I don't remember. I think it had to be anywhere you had range with the satellite. Okay. So you you had to be able to launch the satellite to the position where you wanted to launch it. Yeah, that sounds familiar now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Because even airports, even into four, that lets you instantly transport one unit from one airport to the other unit. Did it let you go to friendly city airports? I don't remember. To be honest, I'm not even sure if Civ Six lets you do that. I, I think you could in permanent alliances, but otherwise, no. In Civ Four, yet another but, feature we need back. Civ Four permanent alliances were, as implied, mm-hmm. permanent in contrast to Civ Six alliances. So that made sense. You were basically the same player for the purposes of winning at that point. Uh, yeah, otherwise, I don't think you could do it. You could base planes with open borders, but I don't think you could airlift. Maybe I'm misremembering that. The thing is, I didn't use airlifting a lot because it was worse on micro by a lot than using navies. So, yeah, you had to airlift one unit at a time, right? Whereas you can stack your units into a uh, transport ships on the sea. Yeah, yeah. You would just you would queue all the cities on one continent to put the units into one spot. And then send your transports there, and then just load them all up on the transport at once, and then send them over. You just had and to if you're up. producing, like, 30 units a turn, or even something less, like 10 units a turn, doing that as opposed to airlifting them is a massive difference in the number of inputs it takes to move your units. Plus, then, like, they're not spread out through all the airport cities on the other continent, either. You have a stack where you want your stack. Yeah, because units move slower in Civ 4. Yeah. Much slower. Unless you're in friendly territory or you have the commander promotion and you're moving on railroads, the units are just slower and so far, yes. Ironically, one... <laughs> ironically, though, the maps were bigger. Yeah, and in that one case uh, on the railroads, the units are actually faster in so far than six in most cases. Just because you could move ten. Yeah, I remember the railroads in, in Civ 4 basically feeling like a teleport for most purposes. They're pretty close, yeah. In this situation with having your... With the partisans of having your army on the wrong side of your country or your civilization... Oops, they're over here. Oops, they're on the other side. I don't think a real rail trip between the East Coast and West Coast is quite that fast. Takes about four days. I mean, that's four days is much less than a Civ turn, so it's fair. But, you like... Armies could march across the United States and back several times in the space of a Civ turn in the early game, too. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know how you reconcile that. Which, which is part of the reason why I recommended helicopters for dealing with partisans in Civ Six because they are so fast and they can fly over mountains. So, like, nothing slows them down. Yeah, but now you've got anti-cav only. So I, right. I don't know that I would pick helicopters. Yeah, it's... I mean, realistically, you'd want planes, right? You'd just bomb the crap out of things. Yeah, the the unit that spawns... <clears throat> the unit that spawns by the partisan mission is no longer the unit that helicopters specifically counter, so... Yeah. I don't know. I, I think neighborhoods are still <laughs> more effort than they were. Yeah, planes will probably be the way to go, I think, now, in terms of dealing with partisans. No, just make the partisan mission ineligible, and then you're fine. The hardest of counters. Unless you have a way of converting the units. That's, uh, that ever becomes an easy thing yeah, to execute. Yeah, I suppose if you had... Uh, uh, isn't there an Apostle promotion that lets you do that? Are they considered barbarian units? Yes. So I think, uh, yeah, there's the Apostle promotion that lets you convert adjacent barbarians. 
So you just the only up- problem is now you're only getting a tight calf. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's the other way to deal with them is just keep a an apostle with that promotion around. I don't recommend it. I recommend just killing them immediately, or even better yet, not getting them. That's the way to go. Don't give the AI the temptation to throw a bunch of uh, spies at you for that. Yeah, just let it throw like usual. Don't <laughs> let it throw things at you. Okay, so third titled Hating Deity by Park Hoon. And he's been a Civ player since Civ 3 and asks, uh, those of us who are saying the game is easy on Deity, are we crazy? The answer is yes. But uh, I-, I like the rant here about how the uh, AI expands quickly in the early game and puts them in the Dark Age or whatever. Uh, it's a challenge in the way that watching Star Wars Christmas special is a challenge or stabbing your toe on a rusty heroin needle or worst of all, uh, finding out your girlfriend likes Nickelback is a challenge. It's good. It's good times. So, obviously, uh, in every iteration of Civ, Deity has uh, is not fair, right? Like the AI is giving crazy bonuses, and you have to work around those bonuses. Is not fair I, by design as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is it, it, it is. It is designed to be ridiculous. Uh, to the extent that in some of the earlier Civs, the devs were very surprised when players could reliably win on Deity. So they they designed it to not be fair for people who are finding the game too easy otherwise. Uh, and in that vein, uh, since you since this is a player who's been around since Civ 3, I would ask if you've tried Deity on the previous Civs, because uh, Civ 5 and 6 Deity are significantly easier than Civ 4 Deity. I don't know about Civ 3, actually, but uh, that might be harder as well. Uh, but yeah, the the AI ever since one eight per tile just has not been able to flood you with the bullcrap it could in the earlier iterations. Plus, the AI was a threat to win uh, consistently earlier in uh, earlier Civ deities as well. Like even if you set the game to deity now, like the AI can win eventually, but it doesn't win at time frames that the player themselves would struggle to win in the vacuum unless they're a good player. So that on top of the being very difficult to attack because of their unit production bonuses and such. So yeah, actually, Civ Six is easier than previous iterations of Deity, and that means that anybody who was acclimated to the higher difficulty previously is going to find Civ Six easier, uh, just because its bonuses and uh, tech progress is less ridiculous. Uh, it's still not easy. Uh, if you look at Civ polls, only a fraction of people are still reliably winning and enjoying Deity as opposed to other difficulties. So like, there, there's a, some elitist there, but there's also some sentiment that it, it just isn't what it used to be. And I, I could see both perspectives in that regard. I miss the days when I could watch Majin play Deity and feel like, oh, maybe it's not so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, when I, <clears throat> I've watched other Deity playthroughs in previous Civs, there's been... I, this is where Phil is right. There's more of a tension about are they going to make it before the AI does or not? Where yeah, you, tends, yeah. yeah, and this one it tends to be more of like, it's a slog, but you could probably get there. Which means you can try unusual ways of trying to win or something like that, or unusual strategies, whereas old school deity, so to speak, you had to do... You had to have a really good early game or you're uh, going to lose it 200 turns in. <laughs> 
you needed everything. Well, it depends on the Civ. Uh, Civ 4 Warlords was actually the worst, uh, or best, depending on how you look at it. Uh, they toned it down. They made the AI better in BTS, but they toned down the bonuses. It was possible to see AI getting liberalism in like 580 earlier in uh, Civ 4 Warlords sometimes. Um, but even after that, it was routine to see a 1700s culture victory from the AI on Deity. I mean, sometimes it wouldn't happen, but that was something that could happen, and you had the plan to be capable of stopping it, or you would lose uh, that particular game whenever it happened. And 1800 space victories were common on Deity as well. And that means that they had all the techs that go with an 1800 space victory. So in order to intercept that, you better be ready to deal with like waves of modern armor and mechanized infantry and nukes. Just waves of that crap. If you wanted to actually intercept and stop that space victory, or you'd be capable of winning faster than that. Uh, which means uh, managing your economy very well, start to finish, and keeping in mind that e- even on so four days, the AI started with an extra settler and a whole bunch of units, and you would get boxed in extremely quickly. Uh, so you, you would very likely have fewer cities than the DD AI unless you were actually capable of killing one, which is non-trivial. So yeah, there's pretty big uphill challenges there. And it's still hard now. I don't want to discount it, but yeah, it's just, it's just not the same because uh, it's not as ridiculous. But I would say just play the game at the difficulty you enjoy, and if you want to get better, then practice where your deficiencies are. Find out, you know, how are the elite players progressing in the game? And what what's what's the difference between their like turn fifty progress and your turn fifty progress, and turn hundred progress, your turn hundred progress? Uh, look at that and try to figure out, okay, well, what are they doing that you're not doing? And eventually, it'll become easy for you as well if you go that route. But you don't have to, to enjoy the game. You can just play the difficulty you like and then walk away from Civ when you don't feel like playing it. That's also okay. Like, <laughs> just enjoy the game you want, the way you want to. There's a reason I don't try to increase my level. Because yeah. I enjoy it the way it is. Yeah. yeah. There's a certain it- balance with what level you play between how much work I want to play and put into something that's a game versus how much enjoyment I'm going to get out of it. Yeah, see, for me in general in gaming, the process of improving is part of the fun. That's even true in things like shooters, but it's certainly true in Civ as well. So, like, the more I play, the more I'm going to gravitate towards trying the higher difficulties regardless. But I know that that's not how everyone approaches games, and a lot of people straight up dislike that kind of practice. It, it hinders their enjoyment, in which case, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much play on, uh, I think it's the Emperor difficulty uh which is the one where the um AIs get like some bonuses but they don't start with like what is it three free settlers or whatever <clears throat> so they have like one or two extra cities early in the game but not like four or five like they do on deity but yeah i i definitely do sympathize with the um with the poster here because i have like i think some of the same frustrations in the the i don't think uh Phil got to it but in the the final paragraph after the joking about Star Wars Christmas special uh, the original poster talks about how deity like kind of railroads you into militaristic play from the very beginning of the game because the AIs, you know, surprise war on you because they start with so much free stuff. That's he, sort of true. He basically says that like that's just he doesn't. Well, I don't know if this is a he or she, but the original poster feels like that is not a fun way to play, and I do kind of agree because I don't particularly like to play the game that way i i like to play more of like a builder style i'm more into you know planning where to put my early cities and building infrastructure and stuff like that and there's a lot of uh options in the game that deity kind of just takes away from you because they become 
less or not at all viable. Like one example is trying to go for early wonders, right? There are certain wonders that above like king level, like good luck getting. And by the time you're in yeah, deity, yeah, it's, it's virtually impossible for the player to get them. These are wonders like Stonehenge and the hanging gardens and uh, stuff like that, where like you would have to start building it pretty much from turn one. And you still might not get it because you don't get the inherent bonuses that the AI gets towards things, you know, where they're starting with extra population in their first city. And I think they're getting a percentage increase to production as well. And they've got their free settlers and free military units. So, uh, yeah, there's just so many things you just can't do early. I don't in the agree game. with that. I think early wonders are one of the few examples where that's true. And if you watch like Potato McWhiskey playthroughs on Deity or really anybody that plays it a lot, you'll see a good bit of variety game to game, even in the relatively early game, because you don't always get rushed. Um, but you do, you do need to be capable of recognizing when that kind of thing will happen and being ready to defend yourself. But you don't always get rushed. You don't always have to kill somebody. You don't always have to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, there's still quite a bit of uh, forgiving uh, padding, especially in Civ Six for Deity. Yeah, I feel like you're just... right that the wonders are just... And that's always been true, unfortunately. Early wonders are just inaccessible in high difficulties if they're the ones that AI likes, because they just get them faster, faster than you could possibly get them. Religion Aside from that, though, is another very... thing. If you're, if you're playing as a religious sieve and you need to found a religion, then that's another thing that's going to be exceedingly or prohibitively difficult <laughs> on the higher difficulties. Unless you happen to roll a game where none of the AI sieves have a religious flavor and none of them build a holy site. You can get it, but it, yeah, you kind of have to sack to get it, which is prohibitive because of uh, how they're expanding on deity. Unless you're Arabia, but it, ignoring Arabia, religion is hard. But I mean, there are examples where deity players go religion as not in Arabia on, and do fine. But yeah, it's, it does hurt their early game a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, again, a big thing for me is just like as soon as you boot up the game, feeling that pressure to start to play optimally like as of, like i it, it to me i don't i don't like that it it does make me uncomfortable and in not a way that makes me enjoy the game and that's a personal preference thing right apparently phil you you love it but yeah i definitely see the original poster's point of view here because it it is not fun for me as well and another thing that i've talked about extensively in the past is the way that the higher difficulties accelerate the pace of the game like because the ais get all these buffs towards science and, and culture like they power through the tech and civic trees and it means that the eras go by way faster so you have you know less time to do things in a particular era and as someone who particularly most enjoys like the classical and medieval era like period of the game like the fact that those like we're the AIs are going into the Renaissance in like 600 BC, right? <laughs> On like Emperor yeah. difficulty and above, right? Like I, I'm building my first galley, right? Sometimes, and a caravel shows up on my shores, uh, and and that's another thing that just really you know, grates at me on the higher difficulties. And I wish that Fraxis could find a way to make the higher difficulties slow down the player without necessarily having to speed up the AIs and like you know rush the pace of the game that way because that's the the big problem for me is that the game just feels rushed on the uh, harder difficulties and one of the reasons i like to play civ is because it is kind of a slow you know thoughtful game and that feeling of being pressured into rushing is something that just kind of takes me out of the mood to play the game 
I mean, that's fine. But when people are saying that DA is too easy, they're probably teching at competitive paces to that. So, yeah, like, they sure don't they feel that same kind of pressure. They're more used to the game's mechanics by that point. Yeah, and it's something that I'm getting better at, especially as I've been writing strategy guides, you know, for my blog. Like, I'm learning these things, and I'm getting into the, the you know, more optimal habits as well, just because I have to talk about them in the guides. Uh, but it's not always necessarily the way that I want to play. I mean, it's an option for a reason, certainly. Yeah, I definitely would like to see Firaxis uh, move away from having a like singular difficulty setting and having more of like a series of options and sliders to custom tailor the difficulty. Like a lot of like sports games have that, and uh, a lot of just newer AAA games are doing stuff like that. Like uh, I don't know if anyone here played The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, for PS4, but, like, that game had separate options for things like how much health the enemies had, how much damage they do, uh, how uh, easily they'll spot you in stealth, uh, how smart your NPC companions are. Like, uh, like there were, like, five or six different, like, options for tweaking difficulty so that you could custom tailor the difficulty more towards your particular playstyle or comfort level. And I would like to see a lot more of that sort of thing from future civilization titles, you know, more than just raging barbarians on or off, you know? The CK2 options setup is also really great. It's uh, similar to that, but there's a lot of options that you can mess with. Yeah, and I think that's definitely one way that Fraxis could go that would probably alleviate much of the, uh, the you know, complaints from players like myself and uh, Park Hewn, uh, who is the original poster for this hating deity thread. Uh, I think that would help a lot. Does anybody on this panel play deity? Other than Phil? I don't. Yeah, when I play single player, I do, but I don't play that often in single player. So if it's a place to come and have fun, not have me stress out whether I made the right tech decision on turn 10. It's fun. It's fine. (laughs) But as we've discussed, we have different definitions of fun. Well, that's why you have different game settings. More so more people can enjoy the game. That's the whole point. Right. So I'm we want more of watch. That. Yes. More settings, more options, more customization. It does complicate the idea of like deity hall of fame play because then there won't be one deity setting that's uniform among all players. But I'm sure that there never was. Yeah, I'm even sure... even in Civ Four Hall of Fame and such, like you had <laughs> raging barbs versus not made a big difference. Uh, I think they banned uh, messing with tech trading toggles. Yeah, raging you know, barbs. Alliances were allowed. Some other things weren't allowed. You, you had quite a range of stuff already, even back then, that made the game very variable. Uh, and, raging barbs was uh, one of the settings that I would do a lot in uh, Civ Four and Civ Five as a way of trying to get myself prepared for going up a difficulty level. So when I started to feel comfortable on a difficulty setting, I would turn on raging barbs for a few games to you know deal with the extra pressure before moving up to the higher difficulty settings i don't do that so much in civ 6 uh because (laughs) the barbs in civ 6 are a lot harder to deal with like on their own without having them raging there's Uh, no raging setting in civ 6 and then there's also that (laughs) they're they're basically raging (laughs) by default and your option is to turn them off uh but i i do wish Firaxis would have included uh more uh options for tailoring the barbarian uh, behavior and frequency. I bet one of them is the new game mode for one of these DLCs. I certainly hope so. I don't know. I hope it's a free patch update, but 
Yeah, well, I'm sure something like that would probably not necessarily be a separate game mode. It would just be an option that would be added by a patch, but who knows? Unless they actually change the rules of the Barbarians for, like, a special game mode. That would be interesting. Like, maybe letting them turn into city-states or something like that. I know the community's been asking that for, a, uh, for that for a long time. Yeah, we liked seeing them uh, sort of evolve into their own cities, the way Civ 1, they could capture a city and start building their own units and things. They're technically a civilization. Civ 4 had a little bit of that, too. They would have cities, uh, but they didn't, like, settle new cities or expand or anything like that. Civ 4 had a version of that that would, but they never used it in generated games, only in their scenarios. But Civ 4 had something called a minor civilization, which everybody started at war with and could not do the regular diplomacy of other civs, but it could tech, it could build units, it could settle cities and do all of those things. Uh, I had some fun messing with the world builder, uh, making some of those once in a while. But Civ 6 could probably do a similar thing now with the uh, free cities mechanic that was introduced in Gathering Storm. They could just let barbarians turn into free cities, because I don't think that... I, I think part of the problem... I, th- I think modders have found that one of the reasons they don't do that is that there's like a hard cap on how many civilizations can be in the game, and city-states are counted as civilizations. Uh, no. Oh, is that not the case? No, I just didn't... I didn't know that. That's interesting. But are free cities countered that? So the same as I, I don't know if free... Because c- they are not functionally the same in, yeah, I, in the I game. Yeah, I don't... I haven't seen the code. I don't know if, if free cities are, like, the same as, uh... Um... I think this was the case with Civ Five, so I don't know if it's if it's still the case with Civ Six, uh, but I, I don't know if free cities are still um, considered like a barbarian, like just part of the barbarian faction already. Like functionally, that's basically how they behave. But I don't know if they're considered a separate faction. Yeah, in like you, you like would the need to end. have distinguished origin uh, for free cities slash barb cities, so that they don't all make up one faction, because that would just be awkward. If you made a mechanic around that and you had like cities on different continents from different <laughs> from different base civilizations all being one quote unquote civ all the time, that would be strange. But it would be cool. Not to have it that way, but to have uh, some diplomacy slash emergence of new civs via these. As we were talking about in the October patch notes, they had uh, given uh, Grand Columbia a little tap with the nerf bat. Well, we might need to do that to Byzantium, but uh, <clears throat> uh, Chris41336 started a thread in there on Sith Fanatics that there's only one counter to Byzantium with Crusade. He's saying, honestly, if a Byzantium player chooses Crusade, they're nigh impossible to defeat. They've never actually seen an action. They've never seen an actually OP Civ before, but this might be it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Grand Columbia was pretty, uh, it was close. I mean, it'd be OP, OP, but. Well, I think Australia got some uh, criticism for potentially being OP yeah. when it came out because of its uh, crazy production bonuses and how easy it was to get them. Yeah, because of the appeal bonus type stuff. So it, it also got a little tap with the nerf bat. <clears throat> but he did say that with him playing with a friend, he found a successful counter play a very offensive religious game against them, keeping them on the defensive with their religion, convert, i.e. converting their cities so they don't have that religious bonus, is about the <clears throat> excuse me, it's the only way to prevent their additive bonus cascade. 
And he says, when I say early, I mean either get the religion before them or as soon as possible once you know they're in the game. There's a, the Byzantium in the game gives you no choice but to focus on religious. Because if not, well, they're super powerful and they're going to roll you over, basically. You can kill missionaries with the military units still. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, if you already know that, yeah, you could go along there just declare as uh, somewhat of a war and just have your units either in their borders or close to yours, wherever the missionaries are swarming into and going, nope, nope, nope. And at the same time, maybe escort some of your own missionaries in or apostles and try to flip their cities to yours. And maybe if you can get to their holy city and destroy it. There's also the uh, World Congress resolution that lets you condemn religious units without being at war. So if you're lucky enough to see that show up, then by all means, use it against Byzantium. Also, if I remember correctly, all of Byzantium's powers, like, required them to have founded a religion. So if somehow they don't found a religion, they basically lose out on, like, almost all their buffs. I mean, you might have a game where everybody decides to go super religious, but... (laughs) Yeah, so load up your, uh, go into advanced settings and load up all the civilizations with other religious-focused civilizations, including Arabia... Just to make sure that uh, Byzantium has one less opportunity to get a profit. And uh, yeah, maybe you can beat them by default. Yeah, and of course, there's, there, there's always the option of, if you see them, kill them. Before they become the problem. And that, that's part of the point. Right. Part of the point there is, if you, you, sometimes when you find Byzantium, it's much later on. And they've already got the religion, and they've already got the power units. So you have to figure out a way to weaken them so you can take them over. Yeah, the good old anti-Montezuma strategy. Don't let them steamroll to begin with. Kill them before (laughs) they do. Yes, I just put them on the top of the target list of, if I see you, you're dead. Uh, What was the other suggestions in here? Uh, Pick Zulu and spam Impicor, which is still a a, a variation of just kill them. (laughs) But that's something that might be a little handier. Yes, thank you, phone. My phone would like me to drink water. Uh, they're talking. Uh, oh, Lily Lancer has an entire list down here. Of, this is a, now this is PvP Byzantium, not AI Byzantium. But suggestions are to use Samaria and destroy them. This is all destroy, but Samaria. Yeah. Warfare. Well, you get another post from Lily Lancer further on if you encounter uh, Byzantium a little later. Lily Lancer is an extremely good player, uh, by the way. Oh, I, I was figuring when their little thing was there. Somebody's posted enough to have the deity tag. <laughs> They've been in here a lot. Well, sure, but like lots of people have posted that much. But Lily Lancer yeah. can routinely yeah, went on deity easily. In addition to PvP, so knows the stuff. <laughs> and at the end of this thread, uh, we also have the uh, good old Victoria. Uh, chiming in uh, saying that uh, Crusade only works against the AI. A half-decent player knows the risk encounters. Uh, as to being a one-trick pony, they have another trick, which is go naval early. It works, which uh, sounds exactly like the kind of thing that us- the user Victoria would say. <laughs> <laughs> the AI Victoria. I'm just going to build a big navy. I have these things, the ships of the line. Well, and as someone who likes playing England a whole lot, yeah, it's this particular too. user, yeah, also yeah, plays uh, England and plays navies a lot. So, not surprised to hear that advice from this particular user. Yeah, particularly if you're on an islands map or something, you'd have probably most of the cities would be naval. So, hard for them to counter a boat for with a horse. 
Although, sadly, archers are a frustratingly good counter to uh, naval units early in the game. Yeah, they're less so than they used to be. Especially when they turn into crossbows. Yeah, that was the problem she had later in the thread. She was up against Nubia, and Nubia had crossbows and then garrisons. It was easy for just to plonk, 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 plonk. Because those are those archers that were upgraded later. So they had good experience. We're sitting there and just, nope, nope, your army doesn't get to come here. Now that's always obnoxious when you're attacking some AI and they just have crossbows sitting in their cities and encampments and get a whole bunch of shots on you for free. Yep. As we've discussed many, many times. Yep. It's still annoying to Byzantium, just like everybody else. Yeah. And it hasn't stopped being annoying. Well, at least we have a way to fight Byzantium until they let us play it for a while, like with Grand Columbia, and decide whether they actually need to take a nerf bat to it, or that we have enough tools in the game to defeat them. Yeah, I don't I don't think Byzantium is as overtuned as Grand Columbia was, but we'll see. And to, uh, it's actually kind of funny, like in most of the games that I've played against Grand Columbia, like they haven't actually done all that well. Like for whatever reason... The, the leader AI just never seems to be as aggressive as I expect them to be. Uh, whenever I go to war with them, they are really difficult and annoying to fight. But for some reason, they're just not like expanding and developing a, a big empire for some reason in most of the games I'm playing. So I have yeah, not I had, doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah, I have not had nearly as much of a problem with uh, Grand Columbia as an AI so far as I expected that I would. Uh, and actually, the same so far has been true with Byzantium, because every game I've played with them so far, they've been on like the other continent and haven't bothered me much. And they haven't come over to be your new problem. Yeah, not yet, anyway. I haven't gotten far enough into the games for that to come up yet. But yeah, and I, I would say just in general, any civilization that is good at early war rushes is going to be a difficult thing to deal with. I remember. Yeah, especially in- if they have bonuses from the AI stuff, if they just attack you using the sub bonuses and the high level bonuses combined. Yeah, I remember. That could be a little rough. In vanilla, uh, just Samaria just being so annoying if you started out with him as a neighbor. Because, yeah, those war carts were just obnoxiously strong in vanilla. Yeah. Yeah, war carts with DD bonuses are. Uh, they're not fun to deal with. Although, he's, uh, he's a bro, so you can usually avoid. That outcome, but yeah, it, it depended on uh, yeah, like difficulty setting. If you're playing on the higher difficulty setting, he's would start off aggressive by default, so you had to make sure you uh, traded with him and sent him a delegation and all that stuff. Otherwise, yeah, you'd be uh, on yeah. the wrong end of some war carts. You definitely want to play nice at least initially, uh, not just ignore Diplo with Gilgamesh next to you. It's probably possible to survive that, but it's very costly and not good. Because that's all those turns you could have spent building other stuff as opposed to having to build a bunch of units to get him off your back. Yeah, and just, like, you, you can't really expand through all those, like, cart waves of crap coming at you. So it's going to slow you down almost no matter what. You, you know, even if you win, it's bad. Yeah, so it might as well just not have the fight in the first place. And with Gilgamesh, that's very possible. But speaking of Grand Columbia... Yeah, so we have a uh, nerf for Grand Columbia coming uh, in the patch, which I think releases next week, right? So, as of... 22nd. Oh, okay. 
just a few days. So as of a few days from now, uh, what we're about to talk about might be entirely moot because we don't know how extensive the uh, nerfs to Grand Columbia are going to be. But uh, back when they came out, uh, I released a uh, strategy guide on my personal blog uh, for them uh, going over various uh, strategies, uh, which basically amounted to kill everything. Uh, So we don't know exactly what's going to change, but I remember us... Or I remember me in particular saying when Grand Columbia came out that uh, any one of Grand Columbia's bonuses would be a really good bonus for a military-oriented Civ. And Grand Columbia has all of them. Uh, free generals, extra movement, like, just everything. It's crazy. So, yeah, just to review their bonuses, the bonuses that they used to have, which are potentially changing in a... Uh, a couple of days, is uh, plus one movement for all units, and promoting units do not end that unit's turn. Yeah, so you can, like, you'll be... I've had this happen in multiple occasions, because I forget about... I both forget about the movement sometimes, because it's unusual and I'm not used to it, but then I forget about the promotion part that, oh, I can move and go all the way and then still promote, or promote and still move, and not, you know... So you can get in that promotion and then attack something, and sometimes that's the difference between winning and not. Right. Yeah, I forget about that all the time, too. And then I'm like, how the heck did that unit get there? Or how the heck was that unit able to attack me? And then I remember, oh, that's right, it has extra movement. Pain, pain, pain. Let's see, what else? Then, of course, they get the uh, free general uh, every single era without even having to bother building encampment districts. Uh, And every one of those generals has a unique bonus, and some of those unique bonuses are pretty darn good as well. I'm trying to remember if there were any, like, particular ones that were nasty. I mean, there were some that would grant permanent combat bonuses to, like, units or unit classes, uh, which, you know, could be very, very powerful. So, yeah, you're guaranteed to always have a general. And then on top of that, uh, they had a pretty decent uh, unique unit, which, uh, what did they do? Uh, which was very good for spamming. Oh, yeah, and they had an adjacency bonus with every other adjacent uh, version of that same unit, which... Uh, yeah, surround and pound. Yeah, which could uh, yeah, add up really quickly, especially considering that it was a light Except cavalry unit, so they move pretty fast, which means they, uh, you know, it's and they uh, ignore zone of control, so it's also very easy to surround uh, enemy units with them. Yeah, surround your own unit and then surround the enemy units. <laughs> yeah, I, you, I remember that one of the early games I played with him that I was able to just, like, steamroll over, I think it was Australia even, getting the bonuses. I was like, no, you can't build fast enough. You can't build your new units as fast as I can just roll over you. Because also you have the the special Grand Colombian generals, and then you have your normal great generals. And I, I don't know if there was something in the patch earlier that I might be thinking about looking at the stacking on that. That maybe you could, maybe in the future you have to use the the, Colum- the Grand Columbia Great General and not the other, or they won't stack together. But so you could get, you could snowball all the bonuses, and it's like rolling through with tanks, even though if this is only a horse unit. Yeah, I remember a lot of talk when Grand Columbia came out about people suggesting that the uh, Commandante General's bonus not should not stack with the. Uh regular general bonus and i don't remember if they ever actually patched that or not maybe that is one of the plans that they're going to put in for uh this coming week 
we will see when we get patch notes. Yeah. And then, yeah, they had the Hacienda as well. Uh, which, um, you know, is a decent improvement. It would buff uh, adjacent tiles. So, you know, you're getting potentially quite a bit of improved yield from it. Not just, you know, the one or two yield on its own tile, but also potentially buffing yield on all the adjacent tiles, which uh, could also add up a lot. So just all around, it was a very, very good civilization, and uh, particularly for warfare, and is a particularly nasty uh, civilization to uh, have to fight against, just because of all of these bonuses stacking up. Yeah, it's, it's like we said with others, if you can catch them early, it's a good time to get rid of them before they get the unique unit. But if you have to fight them in that era, uh, at least it's a cavalry unit so you can bring anti-cav. Yeah, they don't get the free general in the ancient era. So if they're your immediate neighbor right at the start of the game, it might not be a bad idea to just wipe them out now before they become a problem. But yeah, very, uh, very cavalry-focused civilization. So lots and lots of very fast units that will just come out of the fog of war seemingly out of nowhere and then surround you and just beat you to death. You didn't know they were there, and suddenly you know they're there. Uh, yeah, one of the recommendations that I had for dealing with uh, Simon uh, Boulevard and Grand Columbia was uh, to use a lot of uh, alliances and uh, joint wars against them uh, so that you can at least try to make them have to focus on multiple fronts so that they don't put everything you know, right at you. Because sometimes a Grand Columbia player, because they have all the extra generals, will just use the uh, promotion, or not the promotions, the... Um, retire abilities for their old generals as soon as they get the new one, which means they might only have one general hanging around at a time, which means if you can make them split up their forces, then they don't necessarily get that bonus. So if you see that they're retiring their generals a lot, then, uh, yeah, try to hit them on multiple fronts so that they can't send that one general to two places at once. If it's a single player, get a tech lead in, pill box them until they don't have units, and then call them. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, uh, ranged support is very good, but you got to make sure that you uh, can defend those ranged units. Yeah, but in single player, that's very doable. Especially because when you declare on an AI, it will not just sit there; it will send its units to you. So, right, you, know, you can have an encampment towards it, and then like a couple infantry units in the front, and then just tons of crap behind it. And if you're in late game, it's very easy at that point because you have artillery and planes and whatever else you need. Uh, a lot of the advantages, like Grand Columbia's advantages are still there, but they're less pronounced than they are earlier. Bring them to you. Make them fight on your terms. Yeah, or just blow them up at sea. That's also an option, depending on the map. That is true. Although I believe their uh, combat bonuses also apply to uh, naval units. So the naval units do get the yeah. extra movement. But if you're like if you're trying to leverage a tech advantage against them... Uh, that is a pretty oppressive uh, area or theater of war to choose because the AI will have no chance. <laughs> yeah, the AIs in general aren't very good about building uh, navies unless they have a very strong naval flavor. And even then, yeah. it usually doesn't come into play until they have frigates and uh, caravels. So if you can hit them at sea, then uh, then do that. Well, plus their units are, uh, their land units are functionally useless if you catch them in the water, too. Yeah, so the range, there's a lot to like about going that route. The ranged units might still be a, a threat, because the ranged units can still benefit, can still hit you while at sea, and benefit from uh, the generals and all that stuff. Yeah, if you allow it, yes, that's true. 
Well, I mean, your ranged naval units have two range, and their ranged land units have two range. So if you're in range to hit their cities, they are in range to hit you with at least one unit and the city. Yeah, that's true. But like, you can you can kind of bait. Yeah, if you can bait them out of the cities, and then like you know, if you've got like a fortified border with them, and then you can hit them both from land and sea while their units are exposed, you you'll probably be in pretty good shape. That's that's a. I mean, that will certainly work, but it's more than you need, probably. Yeah, and of course, it's, that's going to depend on the map. So, you know, there will just be maps where you can't do that, and you have to fight them on land. I mean, I would generally say, if you have a, an era tech lead in the military unit category, or you have insanely promoted units, slash core, slash whatever, you're probably good enough to fight them. As uh, In human versus AI wars, that's probably enough. I would... Uh... Not necessarily say the same in PvP, but whatever. Yeah, I'm curious what uh, Fraxis has in mind regarding nerfing them. I uh, I hope I don't have to go back and completely rewrite this entire guide. <laughs> Remind me, did their general stack with normal generals right now? That's something I don't remember. I know there was a lot of discussion early on about that being a good nerf. I know when they first came out, that was the case. Uh, I don't know if Fraxis ever okay, changed that, Okay, because that's like, if that's still the case, that is the most obvious nerf. Um, yeah. It's probably not sufficient, but it's uh, <laughs> it's one of the things that you would start with. I don't know. I don't want to see them taken down too far, uh, just because, yeah, there's other good civs too. But they they could use a little bit of a tune-up, I guess. Yeah, the general thing is is definitely probably one of the best ways to go. I could maybe also see them uh, possibly limiting the number of unit classes that get the bonus from the plus one movement for free. Maybe like they only give that to, you know, uh, cavalry units or, you know, maybe only non-cavalry units or only land units or something like that. Yeah, that's true. I could see the Yanero possibly getting a nerf, maybe only plus two combat strength bonus for adjacent Yanero instead of plus four. I kind of like when the uniques are good, though. I would prefer to see the general movement nerf rather than uh, bringing down a unique unit. Because using unique units is one of those things that makes the stuff between civs feel different, I guess. True. Yeah, because we don't want to bland out all the unique units just for the sake of game balance. But I, I mean, could... I know that the uh, the extra movement is also somewhat unique to them, but like, there's lots of ways to improve your movement in the game, whereas the Yanero actually... It, 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 it encourages you to use the unit a little differently, at least. I mean, Surrounding Pound is always good, but now it's really good. So now you're, you're going to look for maybe in situations where you would not even previously. Well, and it wasn't even necessarily surround and pound because the combat bonus applied to the Yanero for each adjacent Yanero. So your yeah, your su- your supporting Yanero didn't have to actually even surround the enemy unit. You could like put them behind the front line, like behind your attacking units, and you would still get the bonus from it. Well, you're still surrounding and pounding. It's just a matter of who's being surrounded. Well, yeah, true. And one of the things that you could also do uh, with the Yanero is that uh, if you had a Yanero behind the lines, you could move it around. Uh, between combat attacks. So you attack with one unit that's adjacent to the Yanero, then move that Yanero to adjacent to another unit, and then attack with that, and uh, double dip on that one uh, unit's bonus. 
Yeah, that's standard stuff for great generals too. Moving them around a little bit to get all the right. Whenever you attack, you get the full bonus. But yeah, I definitely agree with you, Phil. That I I would not necessarily want to see the Yanero nerf to such a point where it's just another light cavalry unit. Yeah, I think there's ways you could take down Grand Columbia without bringing those down. Yeah. And I don't know what, if anything, they would nerf about the Hacienda. I don't know if the Hacienda Hacienda needs to be nerfed. I don't remember what it does. I'm not good at remembering these things. Uh, The big thing was uh, it got a food buff for every two adjacent plantations, and then that would increase the replaceable parts. And then it gave plus one production for every... uh, Or sorry, it would get plus one production for every two adjacent haciendas. So in addition to surround and pound with your units, there was also a, you know, surround and pound mentality with their... uh, uh, I think that's fine. I, that's probably like the the least significant aspect of their kit, so it's fine. I, I would not be inclined to mess with that right now. Yeah, I can't imagine that all of the complaints with Grand Columbia being too strong come from the Hacienda. I imagine it, <laughs> it comes from the uh, all the units in generals. So yeah, if, if if the nerf ends up being on the Hacienda, I would be very surprised. <laughs> yeah, the the thing that's later in the game that sometimes I don't even remember to build. Yeah, nerf that. Not the general. <laughs> the fact that an arrow are dancing around the battlefield and giving everybody all their bonuses. <laughs> We're gonna leave general stacking. It's this. It's this building that needs to go. All right, they're balanced now. Good luck, guys. <laughs> nice. Yeah, indeed. Dear, I forgot to look at what episode number is. Wait, oh, there we go. So this has been Polycast 371. I'm Makalua, joined as usual by the Mian team. Always giving the best strategies of surround and pound. Mega Bears fan. Please, Fraxis, don't make me re- rewrite my entire strategy guide. And Candice, who had to step out for a bit, so... I do not have the copyright thing memorized. I don't either. <laughs> Probably lift it from a different episode and throw it in there. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 sound clips. Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the polycast at thepolycast.net.